appreciate you being here. Uh, of course, we'll be watching you on the Rumble Rants and out there on the Restream. And uh, those of you over on Twitter Spaces, uh, do listen along. I don't believe we'll be taking calls today, but there's a possibility if you do want to be ask a question of our guest or either of the hosts, you just raise your hand there and I'll try to see you and get you up to the podium. If you come on up, you'll be streaming on multiple platforms. So today it is Steve Kirsch. We've had Steve on before. Um, Steve has been very vocal uh, in his concerns about vaccine therapy. Uh, his history, he has had retired after founding and selling multiple tech companies, including research engine InfoTech, excuse me, InfoSeq, uh, as well as Frame Technology Group. He has a Master of Science in Electrical Engineering and Computer Science from MIT, and he was an inventor of the first optical computer mouse. Uh, of course, Kelly Victory is here to help me out, so let's get right to it. Our laws, as it pertains to substances, are draconian and bizarre. The psychopaths start this way. He was an alcoholic. Because of social media and pornography, PTSD. Love addiction. Fentanyl and heroin. Ridiculous I'm a, I'm a doctor for <laughs> sake. Where the hell do you think I learned that? I'm just saying. You go to treatment before you kill people. I am a clinician. I observe things about these chemicals. Let's just deal with what's real. We used to get these calls on Loveline all the time. Educate adolescents and to prevent and to treat. If you have trouble, you can't stop and you want to help stop it, I can help. I got a lot to say. I got a lot more to say. And although I have more to say uh, at the present moment, I want to bring Steve right in here. Please welcome Steve Kirsch. There you are. So, Steve, uh, do me a favor. Do me a favor. Uh, if you could just sketch for people who may not have seen you before, or heard you before, just how you got into all this, the fluvoxamine study, just kind of a brief sketch. And, and then, then I'm going to ask you to bring me up to the present from when we last spoke. Sure. So uh, when COVID hit, I uh, stayed out of the office because we were kind of locked out and started doing research as to how I could help and found that uh, early treatment was considered to be the, the safest, fastest, cheapest way to end the pandemic. So I put in a million dollars of my own money, raised five million from other people and started asking for grant proposals uh, for early treatments. Uh, one of those proposals was uh, for fluvoxamine. Uh, fluvoxamine was uh, uh, very successful in the phase two trial, and then it was replicated in a real-world trial by David Seftel, and that led to it being featured on on 60 Minutes. And uh, even with the evidence at hand, which was extremely uh, compelling, uh, the FDA said, man, we're not convinced. Um, uh, we want more trials. And then a phase three trial completed, and then they still did nothing uh, on it. Um, and so it's, it was very clear that the, uh, the FDA wasn't going to uh, approve any kind of treatments uh, with repurposed drugs uh, for, for treating this disease, even if it saves lives. And so, but I still believed in the agencies. <laughs> I should have, that should have been my tip off, but I still believe that the FDA was l legit and that they, if, if they didn't approve fluvoxamine, which has virtually no downsides, uh, in the dosing and the duration that we're giving the uh, fluvoxamine, if they don't approve that, then they must be like super strict. So the fact that they approved these vaccines and, and I thought, oh, this is new technology that explains how they got it so fast. I kind of thought, okay, I you know, uh, FDA has been super strict in the past. I should trust them. So I got vaccinated in, in uh, March, uh, right after the vaccines rolled out as soon as I could get it. 
uh, basically, because I, tr- I totally trusted the, the FDA and I trusted the CDC. And then about a month later, I started hearing horror stories from my friends. So one, one friend had three relatives who died within a week after they got the shot. And they were perfectly healthy before that. And I did the math. I said, you know, this, this thing is only killing one out of a million. So we're looking at, you know, one, uh, you know, basically one over 10 to the 16th. I mean, if you, um, sorry, um, 600, 10 to the 18th. Uh, you know, it's basically, there is no chance that this person was telling the truth if what we were told is true about the vaccines. And the, the standard for putting a vaccine on the market is like one death in a million uh, people given the drug. So having three relatives die right after they got the vaccine, um, that, is, uh, that was pretty stunning uh, to me. And then a week later, um, uh, one of my vendors that comes to, uh, to service my house, uh, they had a heart attack uh, within uh, two minutes after getting the vaccine. And his wife also was vaccine injured for months. It took her months to recover from her vaccine injury. So there are too many uh, black swans. And so I started looking at the data. And uh, then I wrote this huge article, 100-page article. It was in Trial Site News on May 25th. Uh, uh, they said it was went viral. And uh, basically, I said, hey, uh, should you?" It, the article title was, should you be vaccinated? I went through the whole, uh, everything I, f- I found in, in the month since I, I, I was woken up, all the evidence. And uh, all the members of my scientific advisory board for my COVID-19 early treatment fund quit within a week. And I asked them, hey, was there an error in my analysis? And they said, no, um, you're a misinformation spreader and we don't want to talk to you again. Uh, or never, actually never contact us again. And so this is how we settle debates uh, in, in science nowadays. You basically tell the other person, I never want to talk to you again, go away, rather than to resolve the scientific differences. Because it used to be very collegial. We'd be interested in what the truth is and have a nice discussion like we're going to have today. Um, but nowadays, it's um, I, I, you disagree with what we think, and so therefore you should be deplatformed, censored, intimidated. Uh, you should be fired and all that. So um, I had all of that happen to me. Um, I was just fired from my job. Uh, essentially, they they said, "Look, it's either you keep your job and shut up, or if you don't want to shut up, then uh, we're, we're going to fire you." And so I voluntarily resigned at that point because uh, this is too important uh, not to speak out. So that that's the uh, you know sort of the, the quick background. Uh, a quick thing to the present is that the evidence that we have collected right now. Uh, and I would bet serious money on this, okay? And if anyone wants to bet serious money on this, um, believe me, I'm, I'm really anxious to take your money. Um, so the, the numbers that we're seeing right now uh, from the various polls and studies that we've done is two out of a thousand people will die from the vaccine uh, who are vaccinated. It's, it's higher. It's 30 out of a thousand if you are 65 or older. Uh, but general population, the overall statistics are two out of a, th- a thousand. And so that means that if, um, and you have to put, the, Clay, yeah, I, I asked, he has to put this disclaimer on, um, <laughs> that this is just my research. This is what my research found. And CDC clearly doesn't agree with me, but you can replicate this stuff yourself. Okay. And the numbers were, so- <laughs> um, you know, just, just uh, you know, basically half a million people killed. <laughs> And in, in the military, 5% disabled. And, and then we were seeing more than a five to one number of deaths from the vax versus deaths from COVID. And we can talk about so, your, your patients as well. 
by the way. Dr. Yeah, Drew. yeah, we will. We'll get into the numbers and stuff. I want to get Kelly okay. in here for that. But I, I find myself, every guest, <laughs> the, the part that I'm struggling with is what happened here? <laughs> what happened to my profession? What happened to my fellow citizens? What do we think happened? Why, let's start with fluvoxamine. Why do you think they resisted going forward with that so aggressively? Oh, uh, I, I, I'm sure they were told they were told not to. They got they got some sort of message from the NIH saying, "Don't do this, uh, don't approve this," um, because it made no sense. You know, we had a real world trial where the people who are the sickest opted for the drug, which means it's better than randomized because in a randomized you don't get a pick. But here, the people no, listen, who felt really I, sick. Yeah. I mean, it was just made so, no sense. I remember the study. Um, I, I remember the study. I, yeah. I took the medicine no, they were told, they for were, long they were, COVID yeah, they were, and, it, and it really helped me. It, now I, I've had other people take it and not get so much help from it, but, but you know, it was, it's a total, I did not, was not even aware I was taking it. I had no side effects, no, no even effects other than the ringing in my ears went away and I had a little more energy and things like that. And my thing, my syndrome seemed to resolve, uh, over about two weeks of, therapy with the fluvoxamine, even though it had been stalled out for weeks and weeks and weeks prior to that. Coincidence? I don't know. Maybe, maybe not, but I certainly did feel better. Um, so it's just, I, again, I have this feeling, you know, uh, Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long told us yesterday that her public health training was that when you come up in an emergency like this, you come up with a unified, simplified message and you just repeat it over and over and over again, and no one is allowed to deviate from that message under any circumstances. And and I thought, wow, a draconian, but b prehistoric. I mean, maybe when you had a radio or something, yeah, or Morse code, that would make sense. But in today's world, where you can sit on a stream and explain yourself and put the data out there and tweet it all day long, doesn't doesn't make any sense whatsoever. So I'm wondering if that psychology was entering into everything they were doing. Do you think? I, it, it's worked. I mean, I'm, I'm right now, I'm uh, in, in Tahoe right now and, and, and the shuttle going to the slopes, I, a family came on and the entire family is wearing a mask. And I'm, I'm like asking them questions like, well, did, I, I'm curious, are you wearing your mask to protect you against COVID? And he said, yeah. And I said, do you know how much it protects you? And he said, no. And, but, but a little, and I said, is there a study that you, you know, a reference or whatever where you heard that from? He said, no, I can't recall. And, and then I said, are you vaccinated? And, and he said, yeah, yeah, uh, yes. And, uh, I, and I said, did you know that all the cardiologists in the UK, none of them are taking any more shots? And he said, no, that's nice. Doesn't change my opinion. Right. Cause, and I asked him why, why he's wearing a mask. He says, my doctor told me to. Hey, why'd you get vaccinated? My doctor told me to, right? And so fundamentally, what you have to do is you have to go and silence the opposition, right? Because you can't win on the facts. This is why nobody will show up for a debate. I mean, we can't even get this debate going on um, on, on Twitter, spaces. where we're reaching, yeah, Twitter yeah. spaces, because you're, you know, you're reaching in, into people like having to have debunk the funk represent you, <laughs> represent the other side. Like, you mean you couldn't find any infectious disease expert? And when we're going for for debunk the funk <laughs> to represent you, like it should be Pfizer uh, going up against. So you know Pfizer should be putting their their A team on this and just debunking us, right? And 
but they're not. They're not showing up at the table. The CDC is not showing up at the table. The editor-in-chief of The Lancet says, hey, misinformation is this big problem. So I sent him a letter. I said, hey, why don't you host a debate? Let's find out what the truth is. Why don't you host a debate, you know, and you just, just moderate it. And I, I gave my, my cell phone number. No, nothing. Um, and maybe, I talked to Peter maybe Doshi if from, we offered to from have the one, BMJ. Maybe, maybe one behind closed doors would be in order. I'm not kidding. <laughs> like maybe get a group to no, I'm not kidding. Uh, get a yeah, group together no. just so we can see where everybody's at. I, I I'm trying. Sure. I really want to understand the other side of the table. Yeah, I really yeah, do. Yeah, yeah. By the way, it, go ahead. Yeah, go ahead. I mean, if this is from our side, this is all about the truth. Okay, we don't yeah, want to 100%. win the debate. We no. want. I want to be the wrong. Truth to win. The yeah. debate. If I'm wrong, I'm happy. Yeah. You know, I wrote an article about Celine Dion and I said, hey, it's, you know, 284 times more likely that she got it from the vaccine than, than, uh, than natural. And I got, you know, and I got debunked by um, uh, Norm, Professor Norman Fenton and uh, Scott uh, McLaughlin, uh, both writing papers. That's nah, not, not as bad as that. And, and I read it and I said, oh, hey, Scott's paper, he's right about this and that. You know, I should have multiplied, I should have reduced this by at least a factor of five. I admit that I made a mistake. But, you know, the thing is yeah. that I read someone's critique. They were right on the money. You know, it's, there's foreign reports that come in and more people got the COVID vaccine. So you can't, you know, just compare apples to apples that way. I, I, I didn't do the adjustment factor. My, my error but fine, I, I admit it when I'm wrong. So, hey, I, I got egg on my face on that one. But, you know, I'm still right in the direction. You know, there's no question that uh, vaccines cause stiff person syndrome, right? And that's why it was listed in that, that FDA uh, document that, the, the, that Pfizer filed. Um, not because necessarily this vaccine causes it, but because it is known that vaccines can cause SPS to appear in people. So hang I acknowledge on, I, my on, I error. Get Okay. I, I want to bring uh, Aaron Cariotti up here, who's a bioethicist, who's uh, who's been interested in, who's lost his career too because of standing up for what he believed was right. Uh, Aaron, uh, are you? Can I get you up here? Just to kind of click on. I invited you to speak. If you don't want to speak, that's okay. I get it. Um, uh, Steve, I just want to hold up. I'm a big fan of Aaron's work. I, I think he must be yours as well. So Annals of Internal Medicine uh, just came in my house just this afternoon. And this was the journal that published, had the balls to study the, to publish the Danish study on masking. There's, there's Aaron. Hold on a second, Aaron. Okay. Hey, Drew. Hey, yep. Okay. So they, they had the, they had the huevos to publish the Danish study that nobody else would study because it was negative on masking. They have a new study in here that showed masking generally is it's in in healthcare settings in Egypt and Israel and Pakistan that's masking has some benefit in healthcare settings but that N95s really didn't add much <laughs> so that was interesting and um also a study in here on effectiveness of the, of the booster the bivalent booster suggesting that you do get 4 months of decreased deaths and decreased infection after the booster that's in that's just been published just telling you so aaron you're you're here what are your thoughts you've been listening to what steve was saying yes i just just jumped on drew uh, um but i was on another twitter spaces with steve the other day and heard him kind of echoing some of the remarks uh, that he's already mentioned steve has been trying really from the beginning of the pandemic to get meaningful public debates going yes. even offering 
you know, people on the other side of these debates, very large sums of money to try to entice them to engage, you know, in a fair, structured public debate. And remarkably, no one has taken him up on that offer. And this is part of a pattern that we've seen of our pandemic response being advanced under the auspices of science, but with very little pretense to scientific rigor. And then when you push back on that and you start asking pointed data-based, evidence-based scientific questions, you get either radio silence or you get slander, you get censorship, you get... It's weird. um, It's odd. Being... You get steamrolled, which is not how credible well, scientists. And, and, and Aaron, in addition to being a bioethicist and a scientist, he's a psychiatrist. And I'm trying to understand what is going on. <laughs> Can you help me understand what is going on in these agencies? Well, when your position is very brittle scientifically, then you obviously don't want public debate. I think anyone who's really confident in their evidence, in their data, uh, that they're standing on solid ground is happy to debate and happy to respond with reasoned arguments to uh, let, let challenges. Me, let me or push to back, Aaron. Let me push back and say I think they're. You know, we've been through this weird delusional wave, and I think they've convinced themselves that by allowing any other opinions out into the world is somehow going to fuel conspiracy theory and make the the so called misinformation <laughs> catch on in some way. Uh, I, they're, they're I somehow convinced themselves of that. Yeah. yeah. I, I, you know, I think that's, that's what many of them have said when you ask them, you know, pointed questions about why you are supporting censorship. They say, well, misinformation, what they consider to be misinformation is going to be harmful. You know, people are going to be duped by it and that's going to, you know, cause them to put themselves at, in harm's way. And so, you know, we're not even going to engage in people that we disagree with because, you know, even giving their ideas space to be heard is dangerous. And that's, I mean, that's fundamentally nonsense, first well, of all. Not, but Aaron, a, not only is it nonsense, again, from your psychiatric perspective, isn't, how, isn't that how you induce paranoia? Isn't yeah, that how you exactly, convince people exactly. to be paranoid? Right. Uh, that's how you, right, if I had a... A recipe, so. a recipe for paranoia is to push things into to behind a barrier and to protect it. That the, the sunlight is what reduces the the paranoia. Just so, and it also shows a remarkable condescension for the average American person. Yes, that yeah. the average American person is not actually in possession of rationality, common sense, logical reasoning. Mm. Yes, they may not have expertise in virology or immunology or statistics or what have you but you know they can spot a logical contradiction they can spot uh, fallacies they can they can see weak arguments with you know weak data or information trying to support them and um and so instead of trusting the good judgment of the vast majority of americans who want to do the best thing for themselves and their own health and their families um they say no you you all are too stupid quite frankly and too easily swayed by stupidity or by propaganda to um to know what's good for you and therefore we're going to silence opinions that we don't like only give you the information that we deem is um you know is is approved or is sound and you know ironically the people who are doing that are engaging in 
the very definition of propaganda. Yeah, yeah, right. <laughs> uh, which is which is not. I, I'm going to give you uh, nuanced information and and then let you make a judgment about it. It's yeah. I'm only going to give you information that I think is conducive to making you do what I want you to do. Right. And right. it would be hard to come up with a clearer definition of propaganda than that. Yeah. Jesus, it, it, it gives me a chill when, when I when I hear you say it like that clearly. But, but Aaron, I'm going to put you back in the group, okay? I'm going to get uh, Kelly in here. Great. Okay, thank you for coming up. I appreciate it. Uh, Aaron Cariotti, uh, it's in, uh, Caleb, maybe we can put up all his uh, particulars uh, somewhere in the in the lower third here. Uh, Steve, sorry that uh, Aaron and I got into that conversation, but I find myself, at the you know, before I bring Kelly in, every time, just shaking my head and asking, you know, what what's happening here? What's going on? Why are we in this situation? I've never seen anything like this. This is so opposite of what my profession has always been, including something that uh, Aaron just mentioned was the lack of collegiality. I mean, the we were always collegial. We always called outlying opinions interesting, not misinformation. So let's uh, let's you and I take a quick break. We'll we'll start to dig into the numbers a little bit with Kelly and get her in here. Okay. All right. Sounds good. Right back. Okay. Want to give the gift that keeps on giving? Genucel Skin Care keeps everyone on your holiday list looking young and refreshed. And who doesn't need that type of luxury, especially over the holiday season? Genucel has so many products that Susan and I love. Genucel's XV Moisturizer locks in moisturizer on top of the serums, making dry spots a thing of the past, especially great with the colder climate and all the dryness of our skin, right? And with Genucel's Immediate Effect 2 eye cream, you can see the results in as little as 12 hours, guaranteed or your money back. Susan loves Genucel's DFS Vitamin C Serum, the new deep firming serum, as well as the Hyaluronic with C and Lactic Acid, which hydrates your skin and makes fine lines a thing of the past while hopefully preventing future wrinkles from forming. I am a snob when it comes to using products on my face. The dermatologist makes a ton of money from me. But when I was introduced to Genucel, I was so happy because it's so affordable and it works great. I was introduced to the Ultra Retinol Cream, which I love at night. All the eye creams are amazing. People notice my skin all the time, and I'm so excited because it's actually working. Take advantage of amazing holiday savings by going to Genucel.com, and you will get 60% off with a special holiday stocking stuffer when you subscribe to my favorites package at genucel.com slash drew and all orders are upgraded to free shipping for the rest of the holiday season we will get it there quickly use code drew at checkout for an extra 10 percent off your entire order that is genucel.com slash drew g-e-n-u-c-e-l.com slash drew my guest is Philip Patrick. He is a precious metal specialist, trains at University of Redlands. He has spent years as a wealth manager at Citigroup, and his current position is with Birch Gold Group. So gold has always been uh, somewhat of a safe haven, particularly in times of great turmoil, uh, much like our present moment, I imagine. Gold has always traditionally been a safe haven asset. Gold specifically has, has always been about wealth preservation, right? Gold has... It always held its buying power. You can look at as far back as you'd like in history. In biblical times, one ounce of gold would buy somebody 400 loaves of bread. And today it does the same thing. So it's a store of value. But I would say in times like this, as you mentioned, it's particularly important when you're dealing with things like 40-year high inflation, uh, you know, the air that's coming out of a stock market bubble. These times in particular tend to drive gold and silver up quite significantly. If things 
are different, the solution needs to be different as well. So I encourage everyone to get informed. And we have a lot of good information here to help your listeners. Just a reminder, I am not a financial advisor and I do not give out financial advice nor investing advice. Birch Gold has an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, countless five-star reviews, and thousands of satisfied customers. Check them out now. Visit birchgold.com slash Drew and secure your future with gold. Do it now. Some platforms have banned the discussion of controversial topics. This episode ends here. The rest of the show is available at drdrew.tv. There's nothing in medicine that doesn't boil down to a risk-benefit calculation. It is the mandate public health to consider the impact of any particular mitigation scheme on the entire population. This is uncharted territory, Drew. We are again, Dr. Kelly Victory joins Steve Kirsch. Uh, welcome, Kelly. Thank you for coming in on a special occasion to welcome Steve to the show. I'll let you have it. Absolutely. Great to see you, Steve. Thanks for, for being here. It's always great to have a fellow tinfoil hat wearer, uh, you know, fellow purveyor of misinformation to join me, uh, kindred, kindred spirits. Um, and I might mention, by the way, back to the question about why they were so put the kibosh on the fluvoxamine uh, study, Drew. I think it, there's no question mm. they needed to deep six any alternative therapies because let's recall uh, getting an EUA, an emergency use authorization for a vaccine is predicated on two things. The vaccine manufacturer mm. has to submit number one, that they have reason to believe based on preliminary studies that the vaccine will be effective. And number two, mm -hmm. there are no alternative treatments. Yeah. So right. if you have right. alternative treatments, by definition, you are Sheesh. putting your emergency use authorization at risk, and hence the uh, the hit job on everything from ivermectin to fluvoxamine and, and anything in between. Um, interestingly, until they came up, hacked up some brand new drugs, uh, you know, remdesivir, Paxlovid, Molnupiravir, those sorts of things, um, it, those somehow got, you know, miraculously uh, were allowed into the fray. Interestingly, while maintaining the EUA, uh, some people would, would mm. argue that the EUA should have gone away on that basis. But Steve, I want to talk, you know, when uh, it's, we're coming up on a year now, January 1st is the one year anniversary of the top uh, life insurance companies coming out with the sort of uh, bombshell information that there was a 40% increase in all-cause mortality amongst 18 to 40-year-olds. A uh, huge, huge issue that came out now a year ago. You started reporting on this and have been really, uh, along with a few others, really in the weeds on the all-cause mortality. Let's start with that. Start with bring us up to date on where we are, what the data are showing with regard to all-cause mortality, how it compares to what was initially released back in January a, a year ago now. Uh, when you say January a year ago, well, it's uh, the vaccines have... Uh, let's. It's been two years now since the vaccines have been rolled out. So, uh, right now, the the best numbers I have. I mean, and, and and it's funny because I didn't do this survey. I should have done this survey uh, a year ago because I wrote. I started with my Substack a year ago, and I should have done this this survey a year ago. I, I regret not doing this, but I ran a survey recently, and it's the most devastating survey I have ever done because it's so direct. 
So we're asking healthcare providers, give me your numbers. And most healthcare providers, they don't know what the numbers are and they can't collect them because they're HIPAA issues and uh, you know, you're not allowed to do the research and you're not allowed to, to do anything. Like most people don't know, like if you treat someone, you don't know whether they died, right? And so most people don't have this to stats. So I asked people who are in large uh, private practices <laughs> where they're not constrained with the, the hospital system, uh, the Epic system, you know, lock, locking them out mm-hmm. and not allowing them to do the research. I, I asked these providers, I say, hey, look, if you've got a medical practice, I want to know what your numbers are. And I had a lot of people responding to that. It wasn't like overwhelming, but it's um, the numbers were high enough. And the numbers in some practices were high enough that you could make some really, uh, you can get an assessment that whether you were on track or off track in terms of what the VARES system said and, and so forth. Because I, I always like to you know, have confirmation and look at the whole thing from the anecdotes line up to the VARES system line up, does the population studies line up to the government data line up. And then you go and you look at what's happening in these clinics. And so, so when I, you, I've got data. I should yeah, say, just to clarify, just to clarify what you were asking them, when you were asking them, quote, for their numbers, were you asking them for their numbers of incidents of certain medical things like pulmonary embolisms and strokes and, or asking for incidents of sudden death? What were you asking them for incidents of? So I said, how many patients do you have? Uh-huh. How many patients do you have who are vaccinated? How many patients have died in your practice? How many people have died who are vaccinated in your practice? Okay, so I'm asking them objective questions that mm-hmm. don't call for any conclusion whatsoever. And then I ask them, how many people died in your practice from COVID? How many mm-hmm. people who are vaccinated do you think died from the vaccine based on your not firsthand knowledge of their medical history? So you're asking the experts. You're not asking Mm -hmm. uninformed people to make a decision. You're asking Mm -hmm. physicians to make an assessment as to what they think. And the numbers were off the charts. It was like, Mm. I mean, they were so bad that when I said, hey, here's what the numbers said, I had to factor them down so that people wouldn't go, uh, you know, say, oh, that that makes no sense, right? Because the numbers were were, were coming in that for... um, uh, it was it was something like tw- at least twenty five to one in terms of number of people that they thought died from the vaccine versus from COVID, and a lot of these practices had n- nobody dying from COVID, and you know so then when you added up all the numbers, uh, we were seeing like twenty five to one in terms of if you died, it, it was twenty you know the number died from COVID versus number died from the vaccine, twenty five times uh, more people died from. So I had it, you know, when I, I, I talked about the numbers, I said over five to one, because if I said 25 to one, nobody would believe me, but that's where the numbers were coming in. They were so off the charts uh, clear that the vaccine was like way worse, you know, way, Steve, you know, at least five times worse. I, yeah. Is, is there any way to tease out COVID plus vaccine? I, I've been wondering because that, 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 group, which is most people now, is have had COVID and had vaccine. Mm-hmm. I'm wondering if that's the magic com- combination. Uh, you know, it, it, my clinical experience has been 
COVID plus vaccine plus booster equals trouble. <laughs> That's sort of where I'm seeing trouble. I think, I think, yeah. Uh, yeah. but it's I, hard to tell. Right. And I didn't uh, dice it uh, uh, down that way, you know, because that gets into individual uh, patients, you know, okay. So how many of those patients yeah. who died, you know, and I didn't get to that level because I was just interested in the high level, like was the cure worse than the disease? And there was no doubt about it that the cure was worse than the disease and the numbers also made sense okay so the numbers i got from vares and i did the calculations from vares and then i got the numbers from the doctors and they matched up like unbelievably matched up and these are just people just reporting their own uh, numbers and so you know so we were seeing numbers of of like 2 per 1000 uh, uh, overall population that uh, that died from the vaccine and numbers like 30 per thousand. Uh, so in other words, 15 times higher death rate if you were 65 and older. So we had these geriatric okay. practices that are 75% geriatrics. And, you know, so I asked, hey, what's the death rate? What, what's the death count among those people? You know, and how many geriatrics do you have? And what's the death count that you have from the vaccine? And, and it's just, uh, it's unbelievable. It's, well, I'm, well that, I'm, that's I'm, odd I'm to me because I, I, I have a mostly geriatric group I follow right now. I've told you this, Steve, before. That I, I'm not seeing that. I, I'm seeing it in some concerning stuff in younger people for sure. And and I'm not sure is it COVID, is it COVID plus vaccine, is it vaccine? It's hard to you know tease that all out as you've said. But I have not had trouble in the 65 plus group, and the data sort of supports me in terms of doing something. In other words, the risk reward there is a little more apparent it seems like unless your data is right yeah so well, I, i'm happy uh, to hear that wait, hang on i'm happy to hear what you're saying though steve because part of the problem here has been uh throughout this is that physicians have been reticent to connect the dots they've been really head in the sand you, you go to the emergency department with sudden onset you know paresthesia or sudden onset bell's palsy or sudden onset chest pain or whatever it is and said i got vaccinated 15 minutes ago and you have er physicians saying yeah they're not related you know it has nothing to do with the vaccine uh, they are looking every which way from sunday to try to explain it away so if you are gathering information from physicians who are actually willing to say, I think this was a vaccine injury, that by itself is somewhat, I can't say I'm happy about the injury, but I'm happy that my colleagues are willing to, to own it and acknowledge it. Yes, and a lot of people basically filled out the survey and said, hey, you can't contact me, but here, here's my numbers. I wanna talk about Dr. Drew's case because this is really, really important to talk about here. Mm -hmm. I mean, really important. Okay. Cause I want to, yeah. I want, you, yeah. you know, I, I get people all the time saying, I haven't seen it in my practice. I haven't seen any vaccine deaths in my practice. Okay. And so they say, you know, look, if I haven't seen it with my own eyes, it can't be real. Right. Because if it's, you know, uh, uh, if, if these are the numbers you're talking about, I would have seen it. And, you know, like I would have seen one death or wh whatever. Right. So I want to talk about, uh, Dr. Drew's numbers this is really important. Okay. Because I'm going yeah. to explode. And it may, this I may myth. just this be lucky. For the I, first time. I, I, I may be lucky no, we're find I, out. or, or I may, or I, you know, you, you may see a sort of a random event segregate non-randomly, right? I may see a series at some point, right? All of a sudden I right. could see a series. I mean, if, if, if your dad is right. right, that's what should happen. Uh, even yes. though I'm, I'm, so, so let me, on. let me explain how, how someone, how, how you, Dr. Drew 
can figure out whether I'm telling the truth or not. Okay. So you have 800 geriatric patients. Am I correct? Yeah. Is that correct? Okay. Let, let's say, let's, I started thinking about, let's say five, let's say 500 just for the sake of, let's just use that. Number. Okay. I think that okay. might be more accurate. All right. So, so yeah. we'll, we'll take five, 500. Fine. Yeah. 500 geriatric yeah. patients. Now in the last two years, how many of those geriatric patients have died for any reason whatsoever? All cause mortality I mean, in the geriatric patients. Th 30 deaths, probably something in that area. Some, something in there. Uh -huh. But, it, all, but my, my people have all really wound down at the very end of life where there's nothing more to do. It was not, these were not yeah. sudden death. These were people in hospice because of aging, that kind of thing. Uh, so, okay. you know, I... I yeah, or or I okay mean, okay nothing we're getting somewhere now we're getting close here okay that's a normal that's a but that's a normal flow and that, that's sort of an I, I didn't see anything out of the ordinary in fact people I, i'm sort of amazed lately that people are you know able to live into their well into the 90s without difficulty and without nursing homes and without a lot of things that i used to have to rely on um so okay so, and that's, it's, that's it's, and it's not deaths. been strokes and it's not been, it's not been sudden death. It's not been strokes, not been cardiac, it's not been cardiac arrhythmias, May, maybe a little more atrial fib than usual. Maybe a little more of that. Maybe, 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 maybe okay. that could be something. Well, how, I mean, that I'm, could be something. So yeah. let me ask you this. Okay. So let's go into the numbers. I mean, this is important. Okay. 30 deaths. <laughs> I, I don't, I don't those... have the numbers. They're all off the top of my head though. So they're all I vaccinated see, and boosted. Everybody's the... vaccinated and boosted. Ah. All my patients yeah. Okay. All right. Well, yeah. okay. Hey, so 30 deaths. So what that tells me is that we'll take those 30 deaths and we'll say that it's 15 deaths um, per um, uh, per year. Okay. Fair. I mean, yeah. were they spread out? Yeah. Yeah. Spread out. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Roughly. 15, yeah. 15 deaths per year. Right. Okay. So I, I would have some predicted- were, Some were cancers, cancers and things too that have been around for a while, that kind of stuff. You would predicted what? Okay. Well, you know, like my main prediction is two, two per, two per thousand, right? Um, so 0.2% basically, or 20 per, basically 20% of the normal death rate. So if your normal background death rate is 15 per year, then I would expect to see uh, basically three people in your practice die from the vaccine, at least three people. Okay. 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 Now, okay. but, but it's Poisson distribution. Okay. Yeah. And so the three people so for a Poisson distribution, we want to take the square root of three, and that would be one standard deviation. Okay. And yep. so if you're within two standard deviations, um, you know, I, I don't know off the top what my, the square root of three is off the top of my head. I used to know that. But <laughs> Sorry, I don't either. I, I know it's between <laughs> one, and, one and two. Right? Yeah. Um, yes, I agree with that. I mean, let me see uh, if will do it now. <laughs> Here, three, yeah, three up. <laughs> Uh, 0.5. Okay, it's one point seven. Okay. okay. So in other words, you're within two. You're within two standard deviations. So you could yeah. very yeah. well, in your practice, see two because the deaths are not you know per annum. It is basically you inject a thousand people, you're going to get at least two deaths, and you're going to get more in in the, the geriatric group. And so I would have expected, you know, three people, but but getting zero. It's well within. And, and by the way, the, hey, know, by the way, maybe there's something. I mean, there, there's so many variables, so many variables in these situations. And I, I, I totally get what you're saying about the two standard deviations of within within error. But um, maybe I'm doing something. Maybe I'm more aggressive with ACE inhibitors, or, or, or rather with uh, 
you know, statins or something, or, and that's having some or, sort of effect on or, endothelial function. Or, or maybe some of those deaths are vax related. And, you know, maybe we can have a separate call where let's go down each of those 30 deaths and see which are the most likely ones and, and, and think about, well, does this make sense? You know, because Asimo Hatra's dad was, was, you know, he's up there in I age, know. right? But he died of a heart attack. Yep. But Asim knew that he had no cardiac risk factors and he had blockages yeah. in two of his arteries that shouldn't have been there. That's what tipped him off. I think, it, and I, so, I think it's harder. I think it's harder, Steve and Andrew, in the in the geriatric population. Uh, and I'm not saying know. it's not happening. And it's it's harder in the geriatric population because those are the people who we anticipate will die of of various yeah. and sundry things. I think yeah. if you look yeah. at the the less usual ones, they died suddenly, and nary a day goes by that you don't read. Mul not just a report, but multiple reports. I mean, today's you know headlines was you know Navy SEAL commander at the ripe old age of I think you know forty three, uh, American Airlines uh, flight attendant age thirty four drops dead in the middle of a flight. Uh, we have uh, surgeons dropping dead in the operating room. I think uh, Canada's up to something like ten physicians who dropped dead at their offices or in the middle of op you know surgical procedures. When you look at the rates of died suddenly amongst uh, young, healthy Uber athletes, Olympic level athletes, and the uh, International Olympic Committee had done that study well before COVID um, to determine what is the average annual incidence of otherwise healthy Uber athletes dying suddenly. And the answer was 29 yeah. a year. Uh, and, and then well, you compare and, and that to the hundreds that we are having per month. Yeah. Uh, internationally. Yes. That's where I think and, it becomes very compelling. And, and even with those sorts of headline-y kinds of observations, I think it's really important that, that our viewers saw what Steve just did on the back of the napkin. I mean, that this is how the, this is why things get complicated, because you have to be able to do these sorts of calculations. And it, it can, and, and this is, you know, uh, it's why anecdote isn't the sole answer here. It's it's why you have to really look at the numbers and really analyze the numbers. But go, keep going on, guys. I'll I'll step out again. No, no, and, and again, and again. Well, I like Steve. I'm happy to have anybody argue with me about my understanding or my analysis of the data. It's the it's the other thing we were talking about with Aaron. It's it's the the censorship, the derision, the cancel culture, mm -hmm. the fact that the thing that we talked about yesterday with with Lieutenant Colonel Teresa Long, the thing that got me permanently banned from Twitter was posting a link to her sworn testimony. Her sworn congressional testimony was deemed quote misinformation. Mm -hmm. I mean, connect, mm -hmm. let that sink in for a minute. Um, but the idea that you are raising that for a physician to raise the alarm and say, wow, I'm seeing a signal here that's concerning me and to not be allowed to have that discussion by itself is a problem. Steve, what I want to talk about, you, you're talking about your data and your study and your query that you just did. If Let's back it up with, talk, let's talk about the data out of Germany. Let's talk about the all-cause mortality data that you've been posting about and that I've been talking about out of Germany and what that corroborates. It corroborates everything. I mean, all this stuff is, is super consistent. The, number, the numbers out of Germany, people haven't seen it. Go to uh, my Substack, stevekirsch.substack.com, and uh, the top article, the uh, pinned article there is, why can't we talk about it? You know, hey, if we're wrong, <laughs> tell us we're wrong, right? And and I think the like the first article is the, is the 
the German numbers. I, I've been rearranging the the order mm-hmm. of things, but the the first I think is the German numbers. Like, how do you explain this? I mean, this is this is like you know, it's like flat line, flat line, and then boom goes off the charts. Um, when as soon as they roll out the vaccines, and it stays up. You know, it's not like it's a one-time thing, like maybe, oh, it's bad COVID infection that time. I mean, these sudden deaths went from like small to like large and they stayed large. Okay. There's right. no way to explain that data. And they tried to to obfuscate it with a, this official thing. And it wasn't even the, the, the guys who released the data that, that made the statement. They had to go to a specialist to say, hey, we'll pay you a lot of money if you can try to discredit this these guys, because this is going to cause us a lot of, of trouble. So they make up this argument and we look at it and we said, hmm, that's actually, you know, that's let, let's make sure we're, we're right. Because the, the query that was done, that was sent to these authorities, you know, give us a data set that has blah, blah, blah. And they had to be alive in 2021. And so there's this, this bias in terms of the, the data request that needs to be factored in. But the thing is that the data that, that the chart was made was made from all the data, not just the the match, what's called match, no match. You know, did it match this criteria versus no match? Because you add in the match versus the no match, and that's everything. And so mm-hmm. I was pretty skeptical when this thing first came out because I saw the, you know, that that they were trying to debunk it. And I said, hmm, that actually, you know, that makes sense. I mean, these original queries were, you know. And so I went around and around with a Midwestern doctor who was the guy who, uh, you know, first brought this to people's attention. I mean, it was the, the, the it was actually the German, uh, there's this German conservative party uh, that made the request and, and put out the press release. And then a Midwestern doctor uh, picked it up on his Substack, And and he said, hey, you know, here's this Christmas gift for you. And I looked at it, and I said, yeah, I'm not just sure about it, you know, because it's, it, you know, it, it's really convoluted, the way the data was. And I'm, you know, I, I, I had my doubts. And so he he went back and he looked at it and, and so forth. They met other experts look at this and they're now convinced that they've got it right. And there are enough uh, people who've looked at it. It's a very complicated thing to look at, by the way. You're not going to be able to do it on first glance. But the, the bottom line is that that chart is accurate. Okay. Well, and what, yeah. You can go and, and, and we'll debate anybody on this because if we're wrong, we want to know it, you know, and that's that's the difference is that we're opening up ourselves up for criticism and debate and let's have the debate if you disagree with us. But, you know, any pronouncement on their side is it's completely shut up. And I, and, um, I just want to make sure I, I, I get in uh, this point in that, you know, Byron Bridal, I posted uh, the, the lawsuit that, that he just filed against um, the people at his university. And you should read that because it is a detailed account of how these people, if you say anything against the narrative, it's not like they're going to go and right. look into your allegations and, and look at it. They're just going to go and pound you and try to intimidate you and, and you know, take away your faculty privileges and try to you know, have all these rules that apply only to you and that makes no, no sense. And they went after him so much so that there are criminal charges now being leveled against um, Glenn Pyle, Professor Glenn Pyle. Right who is, of course, one of the people who debunk this stuff. And it's, so it's like the tables have turned. And the yeah. other thing is that, that, that this ABC, um, the famous news anchor in, in Australia, ABC in Australia, just came out saying, hey, look, I've been silent up until now, right. but I want to reveal what I've been hiding. Well, look, you're in the news media. Why are you hiding stuff? That the intimidation 
You know, and, and I just read another email from a reporter saying, hey, I can't cover these vaccines because my editors won't let me. They'll fire me if I do. And so I've had to go create my own Substack on this. But, you know, the amount of intimidation tactics, I mean, when you have to resort to, that, to, to stuff like that to, to silence people and the stuff that the university did to a Professor Bridal, I mean, that should tell you everything that these people do not want to defend on the science. They just want oh, to there's promote no, the narrative. Yeah, no, no. Th- right. Yeah, this is me. He is one of many. And we have Byron Bridal coming up uh, for an interview uh, in the in the next couple of weeks. And I'm sure we'll talk ab- about that. What many of the, what, of the naysayers say about the data, as you well know, Steve, is that they say, oh, this has nothing to do with the vaccine. It's COVID. It's because these people had COVID. Um, and Drew has asked the very legitimate uh, and well-based question, you know, how do we know what's COVID plus vaccine versus just vaccine, which is why I believe fundamentally that they are pushing so hard to get a vaccine in every arm because I am currently the control group and I and our numbers are dwindling. I am the control group. I had COVID and have never been vaccinated. I am the proof. And those of us who are in this you know, small control group, uh, estimated to be less than 17% of the entire U.S. population who has had no vaccines for COVID, were the control, have had COVID, but no vaccine. They are terrified of people like me because this control group is the group that's going to prove no increase incidence of myocarditis, no increase in incidence of new onset cancers, no fertility issues, no increased incidence of pulmonary embolism, and up and up, you know, and on and on. And so they, the more people they can get vaccinated, this more they, you know, chisel away at this at this control group and make it impossible for us to prove that it's the vaccines, not COVID itself. Yeah, sure. Um- uh, certainly. And, you know, the thing is that, that I, and I wrote a Substack article about this, which is that it's not working. Their, their, <laughs> the censorship is not working. I offered a debate to the CDC. It's, it's a letter, an open letter to Rochelle Walensky. It's published on my Substack. And I said, look, Rochelle, hey, you know, it's not working. There are fewer <laughs> and fewer and fewer people getting the vaccine because they don't trust you guys because you won't debate us. So why don't you debate us and you can crush us and that mm-hmm. will that will cause people to gain confidence because right now it's like one what is it like 1% of so like 1.7% of kids are not are, are have getting getting the latest boosters. I mean, they're right. losing. Right. They're losing on the numbers. This is why Peter Marks right. of the FDA went out and said, hey, you know, I'll do anything to reduce vaccine hesitancy except to debate any of the misinformation spreaders. Right. I mean, he didn't say that part, but he, but I offered, I offered to debate him. I said, look, you can have us all and you can use Peter Marks. You can single-handedly defeat all of us in one debate and it'll all be over and there'll be no more misinformation. You can solve that problem. No response. I, the, the, the executive, the editor-in-chief of The Lancet, he said, misinformation is a problem. I wrote him. I said, you can have us all. Why don't you debate us? Here's my phone number. No call. And, and the other, the, the, the kicker, I think, and I've just found out this today because I don't, I don't listen to John Campbell religiously. John Campbell is a really, really smart guy. He's articulate. He goes through the studies. He explains really well what everything means to the layman. So it's re- you know he has this massive audience because he tells people, he doesn't necessarily talk down to people, but he explains what does this mean, this this technical term, and he goes into it. He's, he's a 
superb educator and he has lots of followers. John Campbell started this whole thing out believing in the vaccines and believing the narrative. John Campbell has been red-pilled, okay? Yeah. Now, yeah. he doesn't go out and say, no, I've been I... red-pilled, okay? But he's been oh, red-pilled. No, he's, 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 he, 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 I, I listened to his stuff actually pretty religiously from the beginning. I thought he did a nice job mm -hmm. of, of reviewing available data. And so I actually, he, he was a source for me during the pandemic of stuff I discussed on this stream, in fact, because he was just a nice, steady source of, of good data. And like you said, he'd explain it. He's, a, he's actually a PhD nurse. There he is. And he's a nurse mm -hmm. educator. That's his thing. And he's, and he's been in the, you know, in this, in this, in healthcare for 40, 50 years, like, like me. And I, I, and I know he's got good judgment. And when he smells a rat, he, he, and he does it with this, you know, this great British irony. You know, it's like, <laughs> hmm, yes, you'd think, hmm. And then, then, yeah. then he, he keeps, yeah, he keeps going and going. And uh, I, I think Asim Malhotra got, really got him all the way turned. I suspect yep. that yeah. it seemed like well, that's where he, he really got really concerned. Yeah, he, and and then he's seeing yeah. the the problematic, you know, in the UK, they are starting to look at things. They are getting the government to start to well, that's stuff that's what slowly. I was, uh, that's where so I was going to go with this next and say, yeah, why, why is it that that only in the United States, Steve, we, we are not seeing any softening of the stance on vaccines. All of the Scandinavian countries have eliminated, eliminated vaccination for people under the age of like 50. Um, in the UK, they came out very strongly and said, you are not as a physician to give these vaccines to a woman who's pregnant or lactating or thinking about getting pregnant. Uh, they have eliminated vaccines. They certainly aren't giving them to children in most of Western Europe. Why is it that the United States doubles down on a daily basis. We not only aren't backing off, you know, we're, we're, you know, it's safe and effective, safe and effective. And they, you know, really are giving you everything from, you know, you've got a punch card, get all 10 boosters and get a free, you know, slushy. And, and um, it, it's I insane. Think the, <laughs> I think the WHO yeah. came out today and advocated for children or young adolescents or something. So, the, so they're kind of moving our direction as well, as opposed to the UK direction. But Steve, go ahead. Yeah, I, I got to jump here because I, I have a, VSR, a VSRF call starting at four o'clock that I'm supposed to be okay. hosting. But I, you know, I can be a little bit late here. But if it's more than five minutes, we're we're in trouble here. So I got nine minutes left. Art, right, stop. But I want to so, hear that thought. You had a thought in your mind. I want to hear what it was. Yeah. Well, it's about money. Look, it's about the money. Okay. Because you know why? Why are all these the mainstream media? You know, not saying anything bad about the vaccine. <laughs> they don't want to lose the money from the the, the, the drug companies. Um, right, right. Why why does UCSF like play with the mainstream America? Because UCFS gets lots of funding from the government. Do they want their NIH funding cut off? Tony Fauci is controlling the purse strings to all the research dollars that goes out to, to everybody. And Tony likes the vaccine. You speak out against the vaccine, forget about it in trying to get your next uh, grant. So they're not going to compromise. And plus, a lot of them are still blue pill because they look around and they see these other people like, you know, saying it's safe and effective and nobody's saying anything. But in the UK, I, I talked to Asim uh, Malhotra uh, a couple of days ago and I interviewed him. It's on my Rumble channel because, of course, I, I get censored on YouTube. Um, but Asim said all of the cardiologists are not getting any more vaccines, any more COVID vaccines. All the cardiologists in the UK. So I think what the UK government should say, look, you either take the jabs that we told you to take, or we're going to take away your license. And great, 
there'll be no more cardiologists in the UK anymore. I think that's that's what it's going to take. I mean, it is <laughs> it is crazy that none of the cardiologists because the cardiologists are seeing this stuff firsthand. They're seeing the death firsthand. Yeah. They're seeing the myocarditis. We had a Thailand study showing up to thirty percent of the kids. Right, it's so like twenty nine right. point change. Okay, oh, have yeah twenty nine point no four percent. Right. No, yeah. no heart damage before, and they have evidence of heart damage after. Come on, like what? Thirty percent of the kids? These are kids. These are these people aren't supposed. To, kids aren't supposed to have heart damage after they get a vaccine. Are you kidding me? What's that? Thirty percent. Steve, I mean, Steve, they should be running before you jump, to, Steve. To, to stop before us. you jump, can you can you mention this DARPA document that we all looked at before we came on the air here? Yeah. Real quick, yeah, so there's what the, is that? I, yeah, so the this DARPA uh, document, and if you have to scroll down, uh, this has been uh, circulating on Twitter. I'm surprised this, this just came out. I think it may have come out before, and maybe this is recirculated. But it basically t talks about, hey, you know, we got this uh, SARS-CoV-2 program, and we're developing th this vaccines against the SARS-CoV-2 um, uh, virus. But it's like, this is... Um, it's an EcoHealth Alliance proposal. This stuff was funded well before SARS-CoV-2 escaped from the Wuhan Institute of Virology. And there's another, there's, there is some, I, I forget what the reference was, but there's, there is a second Wuhan Institute of Virology that is right next to the, the, the market, the wet market where this thing supposedly came out from nature. So they don't even just have one across the street, but they have one right like it's next door to the Wuhan to to the open to the wet market. Kelly, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. So, so in is, this, in, I think it's a Igor. I think it's Igor's Substack, if if I recall correctly. So so check this out. In Igor Substack, he writes, "There's a second Wuhan Institute of Virology branch office right next to the open market. You know, and they're doing this this gain of function research. <laughs> it's like." Did you miss this? You know, I mean, right. well, it's they didn't. So they corrupt. didn't miss it. They, they, yeah, they didn't miss it. They, they, they refused to to report on it. Uh, these, the source I've said from the very beginning, uh, this, the source of the virus was a lab in Wuhan. It is absolutely undeniable. Anybody who knows anything about. Uh, genetic sequencing. All you have to do is look at the genetic sequencing. It is not something that occurred in nature. Uh, the the analogy I've made to people is that when you if you've ever received a Word document where somebody has cut and pasted something from another document and they didn't get the fonts quite right, like you know the whole document's in Calibri, but then there's this chunk that's in New Times Roman that's been spliced in, you know, and they they didn't quite get it right. And you can see that it was spliced in. That's how this virus looks, you know, from a genetic perspective. It, there are pieces that are spliced in that do not occur naturally in bats. They clearly is a piece spliced in from HIV, for example. It is has every telltale mark of a lab-created virus. Furthermore, we know that Anthony Fauci was funneling U.S. taxpayer dollars through EcoHealth Alliance and Peter Daszak to that lab, and they were absolutely doing gain-of-function research. It did say anything else. It's not that they didn't know that that other lab was there. Uh, it, they covered it up. They tried to make it a you know plausible that this thing came out of a wet market. Uh, this is, you know, somebody, somebody's going to get exposed for this ultimately, and hopefully Anthony Fauci is one of those somebody's. Uh, let's, this let's, document, let's, let's, Steve. I, Let's let Steve yeah, jump, this document, Kelly, though, and then we'll, we'll keep talking about it. Steve, <laughs> yeah. thanks yeah, for so, being here. I yeah, know you so, got to go.
All right. So, so last words on that is that that document appears to be authentic uh, based on everything that I've read, but it, but it hasn't met the, you know, the, I don't know who the author is and they haven't come out and, and authenticated right. it, but the people who have looked at it, uh, believe it to be authentic. It makes sense. There's, uh, there's nothing in there that you would look at this and say, uh, you know, they got the number wrong or, you know, they, they forgot to cite blah, blah, blah. Um, you know, there's there's no question. This, you know, this is just the the greatest healthcare disaster in 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 human history. That the U.S. government is basically promoting a vaccine which has killed half a million Americans. I mean, and there is nobody who wants to talk to me about it. And it's not just me, right? It's Peter McCullough. It is anybody on our side, anybody who says that these vaccines are bad. Nobody wants to debate them. So saying that oh, you're just a misinformation spreader and you don't know anything about medicine, it's not me. It's about debating the facts and it's about coming to the truth. And what we want is we're happy to be you know, proven wrong. Um, we just want the truth to come out and we want to get into a collegial dialogue where it's not about whether we win or they win. It's about exposing the truth. And Dr. Drew, if you can act as the, the moderator here and you can invite someone you know, who is an infectious disease professor and let's talk about the evidence on your show, because you know you're con you're pretty much in the middle, right? You've been like you yeah. know saying yeah. that, right? Okay, yeah. so yeah, but it's hard to know, find somebody. Uh, well, I'll think. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> no kidding. I challenge you. Well, no, I challenge no. you. There, there's I challenge people you to out there find we can, someone. We can get. I mean, uh, uh, let me bring think it on. About it. Bring it on. It yeah. will be. It will be your most uh, amazing. Well, uh, uh, well but here's uh, the deal. No, it'll be everybody will watch it. I'm wondering if like a Monica Gandhi would come in, somebody more, she's pretty reasonable, uh, but is also concerned about anti-vax sentiments. Uh, and she knows well, you're not going to rip her apart. Would she be, play the, would Dr. she be Andrew adequate? Is always yeah. fair. Yeah, right. Yeah, let we're, me see if I can get her all, here, And we're all about getting to the truth. And, and Dr. Drew, I challenge you to invite anyone from the other side because everyone on our side will come. Yes. Okay. Well, let me <laughs> let me see what I can do. It sounds uh, daunting to deal with that, but 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 I will yeah. see if we can put something together. Yeah. Let's get the right, truth Steve, out. Thank you very because, much as always. Yep. Thank yep. you. That's so the much. goal. That's Great the goal. to see you, Figure Steve. Thanks. What, what's going on here? Yeah. All right. So Kelly, I I have a couple questions, um, and, and they're dumb, and you're gonna you're gonna straighten me out here. I I so that DARPA, what what was the smoke? What was the concern? The energy around that DARPA document that that a they called this an American-made bat virus, and they called it COVID two. Is that is that true? Yeah, is that yes. I, as I said, I ha I haven't been able to read the document other than just how you have on the screen very briefly okay. before we okay. started this show. So I can't speak with authority about it, other than that it references number one, the U.S. involvement with the development of the vaccine for a virus that they already knew they were creating. Uh, it is clearly, it okay. acknowledges and calls but, it a it, a man-made virus. Uh, and therefore- But, but the, isn't, the, it, isn't it the case, um, isn't it the case though, that this gain of function, you know, people are mincing words. Gain of function, when somebody mentions it, the CDC then goes, you're talking about bioweapons. We don't do gain of function. We're not doing bioweapon. But they did do- altering viruses that gained function in order to generate vaccine therapies to learn about the vaccine therapies of altered viruses. Would that be accurate? 
100%. This is tantamount to Bill yeah. Clinton saying it all depends on the definition of the, you know what the word is is. is. Uh, this is yeah. this is yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- this is this is mincing words. This is the definition drew of gain yeah. of function, okay? Gain of function yeah, yeah. is when you take a pathogen, you alter it, the way it behaves to do one of of several things, to make it more transmissible, to make it mm-hmm. more, more lethal and to make yeah. it more resistant to treatment. Those three things. That's exactly mm-hmm. what they did with this. They made it more transmissible, yeah. they made it more lethal, and they made it more resistant to treatment. They did all three well, and, of and, the possible things and you and by do the way, one, at and, one. And by the way, just the fact that in that letter they have they have the moniker um, American, what was it, Caleb, you zero on American-made bat virus or something? But the, the reason I want to zero in on that, yeah, there it is, an American created. That to me means that there must be a French created and a China created and a India created. This is probably not that uncommon a thing. The fact that it has to be identified with a country. We, I think we need to get that curtain pulled back entirely on what's going on in viral research. Well, and well not this is what happens. words. Well, here, here's the background. You know, there, there wasn't much that Barack Obama did that I agreed with, but the one thing I did absolutely support was the moratorium that he put in 2015 on gain of function research. They, he determined yeah. in his uh, administration that it was too dangerous. So they said, no more, we are not going to participate in gain of function research any longer. So rather, Anthony Fauci was very much involved with it at that time when the moratorium started. Rather than stopping his beloved gain of function research, they simply crafted this shill corporation, this nonprofit called EcoHealth Alliance with his buddy, Peter Daszak. Peter Daszak founded this nonprofit And Anthony Fauci said, okay, we won't do gain of function. We're just going to funnel money, U.S. taxpayer money, and they gave millions of dollars of U.S. taxpayer money to EcoHealth Alliance. EcoHealth Alliance then gave the money to the Wuhan lab of virology. They used that as a shill corporation or shill organization to run the money through so that there wasn't a clear chain from the NIH, the NIAID under Anthony Fauci to Wuhan any longer. They ran it through EcoHealth, which is why Peter Daszak, and there are emails, this isn't again, you know, Kelly Victory's opinion. There are many, many emails that have been released under the FOIA request between Peter Daszak and Anthony Fauci saying, we need to get on this. We need to suppress any chatter about this being a lab leak. We need to suppress that. And that is really what started Anthony Fauci and the federal government colluding with big, uh, big tech and everybody else to censor anybody who talked about a lab leak. Uh, because without any question, Peter Daszak clearly has blood on his hands, but so does Anthony Fauci, because they were funding research that was essentially forbidden by the federal government following that moratorium put in place by and, Barack and- Obama. And, and and to be fair, uh, this may not there there may not be a direct relationship between this virus that was in this document and the virus we call SARS-CoV-2. I mean, who knows? Absolutely, but possibly. But the fact yeah. is, 
fact is this stuff is going on and all i mean reasonably it's going on that's that's how they study this stuff but i want to i, I want to bring in i'll tell you who i'm going to bring in here is alicia chan that mit biologist who wrote the book with matt ridley mm -hmm. about the virus mm -hmm. and she seemed very reasonable very knowledgeable to me so when it comes to us getting deeper into the genomics of the virus i'm going to get her in here at some point for us to talk to her about that okay uh, absolutely and the, you know and here's yeah. the the thing i think um anybody the the reason that we don't do gain of function you know gain of function is something that's been done over the years but it needs mm -hmm. to be done in an extraordinarily controlled setting. Yeah. The concept yeah. of doing it with our greatest geopolitical foe um, really doesn't pass the sniff test. I mean, you don't have to be a rocket scientist to go, you know, I got a, yes. I got a really bad feeling about actually doing this with the Chinese Communist Party. Um, you know, maybe you do it with, I don't know, Canada or, you know, uh, England, yeah. uh, but, but, but doing it in China just, uh, you know, you really have to question why someone would think that that was even vaguely in the realm of, of, of safe. Yep, I, I understand. Uh, but I, I, it's equally as mystifying to me why they would have accepted the interpretation of their Chinese colleagues on lockdown <laughs> as some sort of, pay, yeah, as right. some sort right. of uh, right. wonderfully, wonderfully thought out, beautifully executed answer to a pandemic mm -hmm. as opposed mm -hmm. to just random action of a local Soviet, essentially, <laughs> to try to protect himself from the uh, up yes. the ups who might be upset with them if they don't control this thing. But anyway, wh whatever. Uh, okay, so it's been interesting and overwhelming at the same time. Um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, somebody asked me just a few minutes ago. We'll see we, if we're still on YouTube can, next can, week. Can we think of any other I don't um, care if we medical are. interventions? If we're not next week, whether it's head yes, over to Rumble. Hang on a second. So whether it's biologics, whether it's vaccine therapy, or whether it's just traditional uh, sort of pharmaceuticals, can we think of anything that was disproportionately harmed young people? Can you think of anything? Because that seems to be the what what I think is going on here with this vaccine. And somebody asked me, "Oh, have there been other things like that that we could think of?" And I really couldn't think other of anything. Things, although uh, other things know, outside, other things outside of what we did with COVID, because COVID, there's no question the, yeah. the interventions with COVID disproportionately yeah. harmed young people. Every yeah. one. No, of them. he's saying this guy was asking me asking me if there were other 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 things across the course of our careers or things we've read about oh. perhaps in medical history. Where it was disproportionately born, uh, the the injury is disproportionately in young, healthy people, and I, I can't, I can't, really, I couldn't really come up with anything. I everything I came up with came up really sort of went out of the category of active developmental processes being interrupted, like in utero or young children or things like that. Yes, and and I think the thing that comes closest to that is whatever uh, aspersions have been cast at vaccines in general. Uh, I am extraordinarily pro vaccine, by the way. I really didn't question yeah. vaccines in general uh, much until until COVID. Um, but I think that we have launched some some vaccines that have been problematic, uh, including, you know, for example, the one that was launched on for dengue fever, which was just uh, catastrophic and absolutely was responsible for killing hundreds of children in the Philippines um, because it caused uh, it, it hadn't been adequately tested uh, and it, it caused a huge problem. So the vaccines are generally the thing I go to that say, you know, where have we disproportionately, you know, hurt kids. Mm -hmm. um, you know, there's there's no question we've had other vaccines that have been pulled from the market, including, for example, the live 
the live attenuated polio vaccine that ended up polio. giving polio yeah. to hunt, you know, to, but, to but these are vaccines that are so. Yeah, but these are probably given to young people. You know what I mean? It's th- that's what I'm saying. That's what I'm saying. So I think that, yeah. th- that that's what I mean. Yeah. So I think of vaccines because they are the, the kids are the ones that are getting the vaccines. Getting I can't think yeah. of something that was given to all ages but disproportionately um, affected yeah. kids. Was it was dengue given to all ages? No, it was given to children. It was given to the kid. It was yeah, given okay. to children in the Philippines, uh, and it and it caused okay. essentially kids when they subsequently became exposed to dengue, they created the wrong antibodies, kind of like COVID, because you're you know you're creating antibodies to a variant that no longer exists, rather than creating antibodies to the virus you're actually being exposed to. And that's what happened with dengue. Uh, the kids got vaccinated. They created a lot of antibodies to that particular thing. When they subsequently down the road got exposed to the actual virus, they didn't mount the appropriate uh, yeah. antibody yeah. response they, and they died. So, uh, you know, what I'm thinking is maybe if Steve is correct, if his dad is correct, maybe we're just noticing the adverse events more in young, healthy people. In other words, when elderly people get vascular pathology, whatever it might be, or cancer, as you well, that's part of taking care of older people. You don't really notice it. And that's the that's kind of what he was pressing me on. While if a twenty five year old suddenly shows up with a heart rate of two seventy, that's out of you know that's wild. And that was my that point. And that was. And that was yeah. my point is it's harder to show it in the geriatric population because those you, you can yeah. always explain away. Well, this person's 82 and now they've got an aggressive yeah. you know, colon cancer. It's hard to say. In the younger population, when you start seeing cancers, for example, that we talked about with Dr. Ryan Cole, particularly lymphomas, melanomas, colon cancers uh, in people under the age of 40, that has never happened before. These are these are things we yeah. simply haven't seen in that age group, and therefore it makes it a lot easier. I'm not saying it's not happening in the older population, just that it's easier to connect the dots um, in a younger, healthier hey, population. Uh, Kelly, and why would, would, yes. There's a guy I'm bringing yeah. up here right now uh, who uh, okay. I spoke to the other day. I think you, I don't know if you were on that show, and he's got some data out of Massachusetts that goes right out what we're talking about. Just he's on the okay. spaces. He put his hand, he didn't put his hand up. I asked him to come up here. So, John, okay. uh, if you wouldn't mind, I, I know you've emailed me and I've been waiting to get back to you. Uh, unmute yourself there and uh, explain to Kelly what your data has shown. Okay. Well, first of all, thanks for having me up and uh, nice to meet you, Kelly. Um, Thanks. So I got all the death certificates in Massachusetts. I'm sorry. Keep going. I'm sorry. Going. Nice to meet oh, you too. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. Great. So, uh, 420,000 at first, and then we got an update. Uh, it brings up to 460,000 death certificates. It's roughly on average about 60,000 deaths per year. <clears throat> I have every ICD 10 code and every CODIA BCD field, as well as conditions contributing. So that's the narratives that the doctors write, as well as the coders that the, co- the medical coders apply to it. And what I've—it's—it's it's hard to do without my slides, but I'll, I'll try to do the best I can. Within about eight weeks in Mass. Now this is just Massachusetts. Bear in mind, every state is different, and finding signals is very difficult unless you separate it. And what I did was I separated uh, fifteen different age groups. And I used semi-monthly periods, so 24 periods per year, 15 different age groups. <clears throat> the COVID was really about eight weeks in Massachusetts from middle of March to middle of June. 
There's about 8,000 excess deaths in that time period alone. Most of them were over 85. Now, what happened was Mm -hmm. the over 85 population that died off in that short period of time, it it created a deficit where people say dry tinder, right? So it created a deficit that, that stepped on the signals for nearly two years. And I can I, I show mm-hmm. that in, in the graphs and in the data. So the what you mentioned geriatric and <clears throat> it's people talk about young people dying. It's not young people dying. Every everybody's dying at the same rate that they have COVID, except that I, I'm sorry, in, in distribution, but at a greater rate than COVID. So the older people, um, I'll give you an example. One death certificate, uh, Vermont. I might have mentioned this the other night. I'm not sure, but a 98-year-old woman gets injected within minutes. Heart rate goes to 145 beats per minute, stays there for two days. You know what happened after two days of a 98-year-old with a heartbeat Mm -hmm. that fast? She died of a heart attack. Okay. So it gets coded as a heart attack, says nothing about the vaccine. You have doctors all over Mm -hmm. the U.S. asking for, we need codes. We need codes for vaccines. No, we don't. Y590 is viral vaccines. Uh, T881 is uh, complications from immunization elsewhere, not classified. They exist. There's one single death certificate that one medical coder, probably an intern that came out of college and didn't know better, actually used the real codes on one death certificate with a medical examiner, Rebecca Diedrich in Boston. Um, I think it was Solomon Kizito was the decedent. That's how I found it. And uh, John, will, also- the, will the, you know, there's a weird phenomenon where the, uh, coroners and those county health facilities and whatnot will not accept certain things it's very odd mm-hmm. you know uh, right. the part yeah. the, the, there's a part of this story that only <laughs> doctors know which is when you actually try to describe <laughs> what happened they won't they won't if you put aspiration pneumonia right. god help you and so you right. have to say right. died of heart stopping cardiopulmonary arrest due to <clears throat> pneumonia and then later it's sort of right. off in the corner you can put aspiration pneumonia somewhere but it's, uh, I, it's, it, that's I, just I, the way this system works. It's draconian. I get it. Yeah, I get it. In fact, I, I in fact, looking at them, I can tell you the behaviors of each individual medical examiner. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Two of them are defendants. Actually, I have four defendants in my lawsuit. Four of them um, are medical examiners from Massachusetts. The chief medical examiner, also the, the uh, uh, commissioner of the Department of Public Health and the governor of Massachusetts are all named in my federal lawsuit. Uh, exhibit exhibit F is 123 pages of correlated uh, death certificates and um, VARES records, as well as many that say, um, yeah, it's X, uh, X42 acute uh, fentanyl intoxication. And that they, they tested the dead body. It says SARS-CoV-2 positivity in the setting of, um, of uh, fentanyl uh, overdose. Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah, I said that back. Hey, Drew, Drew, yeah. I used to, I, Drew, yeah. I, Drew, I used to laugh and say when I when they'd hand me a death certificate to fill out, I'd say, you know, they should give it to you with as a multiple choice. Like, like what are yeah. what are the yeah. what are the what are the diagnoses <laughs> yeah. you're willing to accept? Because rather than me, actually yeah, that's writing right. The truth, was it was give, that give just me in, the was that just in California oh, for no. you? Was that just Cal- no? Every, I was in every, North Carolina and, and Ohio yeah. and Florida. No, you'd say it's so just weird. Make it a it's, multiple choice and tell me funny, which one I could choose you from that. because you don't want the truth. Yeah, it's weird. Yeah, no, it's funny you mention this because I can tell a physician from a medical examiner just by by the way they're coding things. Now, there's this one physician yeah. that I found, and I, I I looked up I think twenty or thirty of his records. 
<clears throat> and he just put the same thing in CODIA, cause of death A, every single time, no matter what, and then filled in the rest. <laughs> yeah, because <laughs> listen, and then and then the then the then the uh, press goes, leading cause of death is cardiac arrest and the yeah, heart yeah. stop. Right. And guess what? That's the way they make you code it. Because <laughs> right. the right. heart does stop, exactly. of course. But they they right. won't let it, you talk about the reality. Anyway, that that's a topic. Right. I, maybe right. that maybe you'll change that with this lawsuit. And maybe this well, lawsuit will be the public debate that Steve was just talking about. Maybe you'll get to mm -hmm. actually show both sides of the vaccine story. Well, it, I, it, it's not just what I found. I mean, I did interview a uh, medical examiner working in Boston for um, three and a half hours and reviewed hundreds of death certificates with her. And I know the practices that they were doing. They're, they're supposed to do things. They did not, they didn't show up to work because they were afraid of COVID in the first wave. Um, and they they coded things right. um, without seeing. They didn't do blood labs. They didn't do tissue samples. They didn't do imaging. Right. They called up the old folks right. home and said, what happened? Well, she started coughing and then she died. Okay, COVID. Mm. I guarantee you 80% right. of the deaths in COVID in Massachusetts are fraudulent. Mm. Um, oh, I, 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 saw that, it, I saw it all the time. Yeah, there's no question. There's there's we, little, had, we had people who had mass trauma who, who, you know. Go ahead. Yeah. No, there's a little girl, seven years old, who, um, <clears throat> this is what set me off. I saw it in the news, seven years old, said she died of COVID. Like, mm -hmm. there's no way. She's a healthy girl. She, I have seen seven-year-olds die of COVID, but they're obese, Down syndrome. You know, they get major problems. Mm -hmm. um, but this was a healthy girl. So I got all the records through a public records disclosure and then uh, found her, found a bear's record. She reacted within five minutes of the vaccine, threw up for eight to 10 hours. They injected her again three weeks later, and she had stomach pain, spiked 103-degree fever, and died in three days. You know what they put on the death certificate? COVID. COVID. So, John, are you an attorney? No, I'm, I'm doing this pro se. I, you want to hear something funny? Well, it, it's not funny. I, I lost my son four and a half years ago, and I'm doing this to try to save families from losing kids. Oh, uh, what I was going to say was funny is I went to law, I went to law school for a year at 56 years old. I got kicked out because I wouldn't get the vaccine. And um, <laughs> wow. so so here I sit at wow. 58. Um, yeah. And I'm deaf in one ear because I got a shot when I was four years old. They mixed streptomycin and penicillin together in 1968 as a prophylactic for the Hong Kong flu. And that's how they learned. The streptomycin, the streptomycin yep. did that. So, yep. so, so Jesus Christ. So, um, we need to interview some more, of course. I want to get you to have you show your slides to us at some point here, but, but, um, sort of overwhelmed when I, when I hear you talk and, and it, because it, it all sounds so familiar from the depths of the dark hours of, of this pandemic and right. some of the things that right. I was fearful right. was going on. You're telling me were going on. What, what do you, I'm going to ask you what I normally ask at the beginning of this program. What happened? Why do you think people did this? What happened to us? What happened to my profession? It, well, so I, I was in sales for over 30 years in semiconductor research. Um, and it was my job to know people and everything. <clears throat> so what happened at every level, there's, there's a different story. There are doctors that felt coerced. There are doctors that felt um, that they should just follow the authority. The younger doctors who grew up with EBM instead of just regular scientific method, they were told that just listen to the authority, listen to the FDA, yep. and that's it. The yep. older doctors who were, you know, it used to be that a practice would have, I don't know, uh, four, five, two, ten at most. Yep. 
Um, and you would you would go to a doctor and there'd be the elder statesman, one or two doctors that the younger guys would defer to because of their wisdom and experience. And and the, the central authority might say, oh, you have to do this. And the old guy would say, no, 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 <laughs> you don't do that. They don't know this case. Yeah. You know, all the time. Listen, I, I lived through the opiate thing. You don't, you don't need to. Mm -hmm. I mean, <laughs> if you want any uh, example of how centralized authority kills people, the, the, just the opiate overprescribing right. that was mandated. I, I was I right. was crushed by all the regulatory agencies for resisting that. Mm -hmm. It was a terrible dark time for me. So this all feels very familiar to me. But, but the the magnitude of this one, the intensity that, of the, the that's the incredulous thing that people have trouble with. But if you look at what look at that letter from the American Board of Internal Medicine, American Board of Pediatrics, American Board of Family Medicine, um, I think I missed one there. But anyway, there's a, you can look at it on the web. It says any any doctor spreading uh, vaccine misinformation will have their um, certification suspended or revoked. And that's coercion right there. And it's out in public. And it's from the, the three CEOs of those boards. Now, if you look up where those boards get their money, there's a lot of, you know, Gates money going around. If you look at the New England Journal of Medicine from the Mass Med Society around since the late 1700s, it's one of the premier, you know, journals in the world. You'll find that Gates came by and dropped off $12 million in 2018 for, you know, whatever research, which is basically grants to write papers. And you got to write the right paper to get the money. Well, so he, this is all coercion. Yeah, I, we get it. And, and, but, but Gates, even he has been softening lately. He's been a little concerned and looking at things, it seems, seems like. But anyway, guys, we, we could, we could uh, chase our tails through this for, for, for a long period of time, we will. I'm going to get you in here, John. When, and Kelly. Email your deeds to contact drjudo.com. No, he did. He did. You forwarded it to oh, him. Oh, I did? Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I'll get it back and you can get him set up. You know, Kelly, you I, I'm going to wrap this up. You it's been a really okay. uh, challenging show for me. I'm upset. You know what I mean? I, I'm normally... Uh, Kelly and I are going to go have I, a vodka for my birthday. <laughs> I, I know. Yeah, happy birthday. Happy birthday, Susan. No, I understand that that <laughs> feeling. These shows are just shaking. No, well, that's, oh, that's the <laughs> that's thing is it, it's hard to stay. It's, it's hard to not get sucked in. I just, I did a show before I was on with you today, a radio show. And I said, truly, I say this not in a, in a condescending sort of uh, way, but more because I, I struggle with it myself. It's very easy to get sucked into the constant negative to say, to really lose hope in what's going on with our profession, with yeah, humanity. Yeah. And all yeah. I could say is, Put down your phone, go celebrate. It's a time of great joy. Yeah. It's Susan's birthday. Mankind still a has a day. lot to offer to one each other. You know, uh, there is hope. Uh, I, I don't intend to stop saying the truth. I think that we will encourage people to have open debate. And I'm hoping that our participation together on this platform will help to to rejuvenate the the moribund uh you know history of a robust vigorous debate in medicine and so let's yeah, let's bring it yeah. back and, and, and uh, i hope we're wrong I, I hope i hope there is some sort of middle ground that we would we emerge into that we find that we can sort of still have some value in some of these products and use them properly just no understanding the risk yep. reward which much with much greater exactly. clarity all right, uh, so we will see you next week for Asim Malhatra, which um, yes, again will blow everybody's great. mind. Should be re really good. He's a great guy. Susan, are we going to do Tuesday and Thursday? We're off to New York, so Tuesday, no, we're flying, I think. Aren't we flying no, on No, we're Tuesday? flying Monday. Monday, oh. 
Oh, maybe. I don't know. I haven't talked to Caleb. So we might do some Q&A from New York. It's Christmas. You know, we'll we'll do what we can. We'll see what Susan's mood is on on Tuesday. (laughs) Well, happy happy birthday. Have a a martini for me. Happy birthday. Okay. (laughs) And we will see you you next week. Okay. Yeah, Kelly. Thank you so much. Cheers. And Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, everybody. Uh, not yet our happy new happy year Hanukkah. show. Not into the year. Happy Hanukkah. Happy holidays, everyone. It's all at we, the same uh, time we, this year. This has been a really interesting couple of years that we've been doing this show. It's been probably two years now, Susan. This show. This show. Yeah. What Caleb? with Kelly? No, with no, Caleb. Yeah, about. No, I would think it's yeah about two years, but it, yeah, it really took years. off in the past six months. Uh, specifically, well, the past but, three but months. I would say that you know we <laughs> because they didn't censor us on YouTube. But. but Look, let's just recap the sort of history here. We 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 started as the French underground. We were just trying to get people to calm down and be and a source I did of information of Dr. <laughs> and a place to answer questions and to cool everybody out a little bit and to try to keep people abreast of information as it came through. And then um, it started getting increasingly clear that something was up. Something wasn't making sense. We were hearing points of view that sort of were concerning. And uh, and then and, getting and, pulled and, off YouTube. And then we well, and then we started getting crushed for things that didn't make sense. And and then we started seeing people like uh, Jay Bhattacharya, who we got to meet these people as we went along. Like these these are the people that were were uh, canceled. Right. I mean, the it made best no and sense brilliant whatsoever. And then a growing swell started coming along uh, of physicians and concerned professionals and concerned citizens that something is not right. Um, so that's where we are right now. I, I don't know where we're going to end up. I, I want to believe that I, I still believe that it, when the day is done, uh, we'll be able to give better informed consent on what's, what we're doing with young people, particularly young people who have really no risk from COVID and may have some real risk from the vaccine. We can weigh these things out and talk to our patients about it in the very elderly population where the risk of the COVID is quite substantial and the risk of the vaccine may not be as substantial, but maybe something. We can understand more clearly what that something is. We will have made real progress. So uh, hopefully- uh, Well, we we'll, got lucky with Rumble coming along too when they did. Right, so we could keep thank talking. Thank you, Dave Rubin. Yes, thank because you, Because we, we, we were able to diversify and get out on a lot of platforms when we were being pushed down. And I don't know, I just, I can't imagine Drew giving medical misinformation. That's just- you know. It's a weird idea. But but because they were able to sort of um, paint me that way at the beginning of the pandemic, and I hope you guys understand how these videos and things work now. Well, they, they were they were threatening your your I, I credibility look, and your license. Look, but, when but, you have look, a license, you have to. But they go they, underground. They I guess. cut videos up. Do you, do you not? You speak of misinformation. I hope you understand stuff now. You see on Twitter is presented in a certain way. The the stuff that was specifically edited from all of my comments was. Listen to the CDC. Listen to Dr. Fauci. Stop which panicking, pandemic which is what I was ultimately concerned about. What is this now? Pandemic is over. Yeah, I, I mean, I always said history will not be kind, and it's it's starting to turn into that because smart people are going out and getting the facts, and that's that's what you know. Looking back on something, you can make better decisions based on what the actualities were. We what? didn't know what they were going to be, but. You kind of predicted it, but... Well, I do remember this video of me. Kaylee, you probably can find this. I, actually, Gary over at uh, Corolla has this. The night that L.A. County decided to close the schools, I am sitting talking to the school board members going, why are you doing this? Who? What doctor? To What infectious disease? Nobody told us. We just think it's the right thing to do. I was like, what? 
why are you doing this? What, where did the decision-making come from? What, what's going on here? It's all was just out of sheer panic and this running to one side of the boat. It was just a crazy, crazy time. And I feel like we're kind of coming out of that, the delusional, whatever we were in. And that that is as a result of us sort of emerging from that, we're starting to look around at some of the other facts that are troubling us and we're able to actually sit and talk about it. And, uh, it's just, today was an interesting show and uh, I'm troubled, but I'm gonna have a good holiday and a good birthday dinner with Susan. And I hope you all have a nice holiday as well. And I'm sorry for everybody who lost one to the vaccine. That just sounds horrific, especially We children. had a caller yesterday or day before. Yeah. That was, uh, it just, it breaks my heart. And, you know, I'm just hoping that we can move forward and not have that event happen for anybody in the future. Or at least if it if things happen, the the patient or the family who makes the decision to proceed with the therapeutics or the vaccine, whatever it might be, understood the risk going in. Didn't we've ne we're not presenting kids risk don't anybody. understand that. What are you putting up there, Caleb? What, what is it's going a meme. on here? <laughs> it's okay. one of my favorite memes from the pandemic. <laughs> what do pro-vaxxers and anti-vaxxers have in common? They'll never be fully vaccinated. I'm not sure I get it. Look at Steve Kirsch's Twitter. It keeps going. <laughs> okay, all right. <laughs> just because it keeps going. Well, thank you for having Steve on my birthday because I've loved him for a long time. When we were getting censored on YouTube, I asked him to start a new platform. Remember that, Caleb? Mm -hmm. I was like, if you want to like make Dr. Drew and uh, uh, TV into uh, YouTube, we could do that. Yep. Uh, and then Rumble came along and they beat us to it. So. so. So <laughs> All right. But well, he has been very passionate from the beginning. And yep. I and I appreciate and he's been at he pitched this idea to me like a year ago. What idea? The getting having a debate between oh, yeah. him and a doctor. And um, you know, we couldn't then. I mean, it was just it we would have gotten in trouble by somebody, you know. Just is, do you think Monica Gandhi is adequate for this? Or we need somebody I more know, aggressive. You'd have to chat Absolutely. up with her and ask her. Yeah. I, she would be very yeah. interesting. Do you think Monica yeah. would be good? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. She, she's, she, she's, she, she, yeah. But she's not, she's not, but she's my, more like me. She's in the middle a bit, you know? Hmm. Uh, I, I don't know. Uh, it's it's think? difficult because the, the type of person that would be the best to speak with Steve Kirsch and to be a part of that they actually wouldn't come on. Yeah. Like you, you've seen how hard we've actually tried to get some of the people on that have mm -hmm. been attacking you on Twitter and none of the experts will actually mm -hmm. do it. Like that doctor that we had on last week was the only one that's agreed so far. I, I've actively tried that to get the, them uh, just to come and back up their claims. The yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's the only I one mean, that could do it. I don't know. They're, mm. they're also boring. So, well, but I mean, Steve, <laughs> if it's Steve versus some of these folks, it'd be in, I don't know. Very concerned. Yeah, it's hard know. to find people who are really like pro-vax now. It's harder. Well, no. It's what about Doctor Celine? It's just hard to find people. Doctor Gounder. Celine Gounder. Yeah, at some point in yeah, the future, I, not I, now, but she just had a major loss, and, right? And right. I don't want to be. I exactly. Yeah, risk the possibility that somebody. Yeah, says, might. "Hey, what do you think?" You know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah so we don't know if it was. I, I just don't want to do that vaccine. to her. But she would have been perfect. She would have been perfect. She yeah. would have been yeah before her. I wonder if like died. a. Um, what is the woman that, mm, well, let me, let me think on it. Anyway. I know uh, it's hard. Yeah. We have a long list of people. Someone suggested that, you know. Dr. But Peter Hotez as well. He was on the show before. Yeah. Hotez uh, was somebody I was thinking of and he, he, but he, he I think he's would end up, I, I really would like an infectious disease doctor in here. So somebody who's actually actively seeing patients. 
so somewhere in that zone. And I, the hard part is, you know, Steve talks about data and you're going to need to yeah, have Dr. Fauci come in. Um, <laughs> we're going to need to have like an epidemiologist, I think, to really get We tried it. to get Dr. Fauci and he almost came on and then he made a is that true? 360. Yeah. He yeah. almost, Michelle yeah. almost got him. Interesting. We tried to get Dr. Campbell too, but he ignores us. Yeah. So. Campbell would be great, but he's not, he would just be a good interview. I think it's okay. The time well, let me think on it. And uh, who knows? Maybe now they'll meantime, come. Everybody have a great holiday and we'll see you on the other side. Happy, happy. Ask Dr. Drew is produced by Caleb Nation and Susan Pinsky. As a reminder, the discussions here are not a substitute for medical care, diagnosis, or treatment. This show is intended for educational and informational purposes only. I am a licensed physician, but I am not a replacement for your personal doctor, and I am not practicing medicine here. Always remember that our understanding of medicine and science is constantly evolving. Though my opinion is based on the information that is available to me today, some of the contents of this show could be outdated in the future. Be sure to check with trusted resources in case any of the information has been updated since this was published. If you or someone you know is in immediate danger, don't call me, call 911. If you're feeling hopeless or suicidal, call the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline at 800-273-8255. You can find more of my recommended organizations and helpful resources at drdrew.com help. Thank <laughs> you.